All right, we've heard from Sam. We've heard from Leaf. Now it's time to get Richard, Mr. Mavs Draft. It's time to get his observation from the first weekend of the 2023 NCAA tournament. If you know Richard, he's going to have some great takes. And there is a player that he had been talking about all season that he wasn't as high on. And now he's starting to look like a genius, according to the NBA scouts I spoke to. So find out who we are discussing. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made this Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. We've seen the the number of downloads and viewers on YouTube increase. So big, big thank you for that. And also, this episode is brought to you by the Ultimate GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NBA general manager and managing your basketball franchise, well, this game is definitely for you to download the game. Just visit ultimatebasketballgm.com. You can find it on the App Store. If you are a listener, a Locked On listener, you get a 100% free boost to your franchise we used, when you use the promo code LOCKED ON, but it must be in all caps, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N in the game. I'm Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And I have a new position. I guess I'll announce it here. I am taking over as the director of scouting for the NTX Combine, which is a combine for draft eligible seniors where they can be seen by NBA scouts. So I'll be in charge of coming up with a list of players to participate to be here in Dallas. But enough about me. This is a show which is all about Richard's thoughts and his observations from the NCAA tournament. He's last but not least. Richard, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Congratulations on uh, on the gig. I'm excited as a I'm very biased, obviously, but I'm so excited as a Dallasite to uh, to be in such company right now. Oh, well, you're invited. You you got to come out and uh, definitely, definitely uh, we can. You know, we'll, we'll we'll use your your thoughts and expertise. Maybe even have you suggest a few players for us. All right, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. Sam came on. On Monday, Leaf came on Tuesday. Today's your day. And when you talk about the first round of the NCAA tournament, what is the first game or the first player that comes to mind so far when you talk about this opening weekend? Man, you know, I, I say this with a very biased lens because I had I had Furman with the upset over Virginia and I've been riding the Jew and Slauson train yes year. yes 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 now that being said his game for San Diego State that's a lot to be desired he he fouled out very quickly um but he he had a great game versus Virginia 19 points 10 rebounds four assists one steal one block and he was definitely the best player in the game and and you know when you make Virginia's defense look weak that's a big that's a big note as a prospect I think he caught a lot of scouts eyes and he turned himself from Definitely being undrafted to hey, there's a conversation. Is he worth being taken in the last ten picks? That that you know narrative now on him has changed within NBA front offices. He's someone that I feel bad for in a sense because there are two guys that are not going to get drafted this year because there are two teams that lost picks, and so I just feel like it's unfair to the players. Now I, I get it. I don't know another way around it. I can't think of an alternative, 
But when there are teams that have their picks stripped, only 58 guys are going to hear their name called this year. And I just think like that kind of sucks for the guys that are like him that are on, on the fringe and everybody wants to hear the name called. Well, for the most part, I mean, there are some situations like Austin Reeves where he didn't want to hear his name called. And now that looks like an absolute genius decision because he's probably going to get 45 to $50 million before the rest of his class gets paid. Now, who else caught your attention and, and stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, it's no, uh, it's no locked on and be a big board without mentioning Turquavion Smith. I feel like, especially from one of us, you're the original Turquavion Smith guy. <laughs> I've tagged along and, to, and, you know, rode that high as well, even though they lost against Creighton, he was not why they lost 32 points on 12 of 27 shooting. It's not the most efficient game, but a lot of that was end of game, you know, trying to bring him get the cut the lead a little bit, but I was really just impressed with the shot making against a, a really sound team that's now in the Sweet 16. Yeah, me and Leaf talked about Turquavion, and uh, it feels good to to be one of the people that didn't sell my Turquavion stock. You know, it's like it's almost like Leonard Miller last year. Everybody became high on him, and then and you know it makes sense. The numbers this year didn't improve pretty much at all. You can say they they made a dip, but the team got better. The team. I want to say they won 13 more games. And like I mentioned to leave, if you talk about Traquavion, the first thing that scouts and even just fans are going to talk about is the coach isn't good. They don't like the coach. They don't like, you know, whatever. And, and these are just their, their opinions. And I'm like, well, if the coach is that bad, you don't like him at all. You think he's off what X's and O's and whatever. They won 23 games in the ACC. So either he's not that bad or Terquavion and Jarkel Smith or Jarkel Joyner were, were that good. But I thought Terquavion played well, even though he took 27 shots. He needed 27 shots to score 32 points. But he showed the three-level scoring. Even though, Well, I shouldn't say three-level scoring. Two levels because I think he was just <laughs> one of five from three. But he showed, like, the pull-ups, the floaters, and his ability to just get downhill, play through contact, Buck 65, I can think of at least three plays where he went chest-to-chest with Kalkbrenner, the two-time defensive player of the year, finished. And, of course, we saw the crazy left-handed dunk. I had mentioned uh, on my Twitter, I don't see too many guys that are right-handed that have that much juice jumping off their right leg. And then everybody mentioned John Wall is the first one, uh, K.J. Martin, J.R. Smith. I think there may have been somebody, somebody else that they mentioned, but it's it's not a lot of guys that are righty that would that you know t- take off and finish with their left like that. Where do you have Traquavion on your board? You know, I've sacrificed him a little bit more than I would have liked for other guys to rise, such as Leonard Miller, like you said, and uh, and a few others. But I still have him at twenty five, and I I think honestly he'll. I originally had him top ten. I don't know if he gets back there. I think he's definitely going to end up top 25 or top 20. First of all, guys will withdraw that are in my top 20. That's very likely. And then also, I just think, again, he's somebody who I've said it a lot on this podcast. He did not play the style of game that he will be playing in the NBA. Teams will not have him number one on their scouting report, at least early in his career, the way that NCAA teams do. If you haven't watched North Carolina State play, Defenses don't let him even touch the three-point line. When he's on the perimeter, it's, all right, make him shoot three, five feet 
feet away behind the line. Like he is taking, even though he shot 34, 33 and a half percent from three, it's because those, those threes were not at the line. It's not what a, a spot up shooter gets. Yeah. And he was very efficient off the catch. It's just, he didn't get a whole lot of, a lot of shots off the catch. Now you mentioned something and I know you kind of dropped it off a little nugget here. But we got to switch gears. Who do you think is going to (laughs) – that's on your list that you're high on that you think will undeclare or not declare for the draft? You know, it wouldn't shock me. So I have have a couple guys that I could see just coming back to school. Um, There's Trace Jackson Davis and and Jalen Hood Shafino. While both should, you just never know. Um, Who knows with Bryce Sensabaugh, he's somebody who I could see as a candidate. And then – I'm not even sold Taylor Hendricks as a one and done, even though he should be, I'm not a hundred percent sure that's probably it. And then just reshuffling and, and of guys in front of him. I'm not sure Max Lewis is somebody who uh, declares. He that's already declared. The, oh, he already did. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So never mind. I stand corrected on that. Um, but in front of him right now, those are the guys and I could just see some reshuffling. I mean, there's a couple guys where just looking at my board, where I'm like, eh, I can sacrifice them a, a little bit. One of them being actually Max Lewis. So that's one spot. Um, and those are probably the two best sophomores too. And I mean, I've talked about it a lot. The best sophomore in the class is worth bumping up in your board. Now, from everything that I've been hearing, Taylor Hendricks is out of there. Good. He As he should be. gone. And I, I talked to a scout today and he had him right outside the lottery. He thought he was going to be right outside the lottery. And he mentioned that he's a guy that you don't know what his true position is. He's, I guess, a four, so you may be able to play some three. But he said he's just so talented. He blocks shots. He shoots threes. He dunks. I think he mentioned he's one of few, a few players, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but 50 dunks, 50 threes. There's only a few players in the entire NCAA that, that have that amount. And his, his quote to me was, he's just a guy that's so talented a team is going to draft him and just figure out where he plays because he has that type of versatility. All right. When we return, of course, we have to talk about Isaiah Wong and his two games that were just like totally different games. He had like a great game. And then he had a game where he struggled, but more importantly, he had the the big game when they needed him the most. And then of course, we're going to talk about the Creighton guys. We're going to talk about Arkansas's prospects and the guys from Duke, but let's talk about, the ultimate pro basketball GM. If you ever dreamed about becoming an NBA GM and managing your own franchise, well, your dreams have come true. You can manage every strategic aspect of your team. You can play through the season and lead your team to glory. And you get to be responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs that come with the season. All of this is in a challenging and realistic game. The Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free, and it is playable offline, and you can play on the go, and you can play as much as you want to. All you have to do is go to the App Store, download the game, probasketballgm.com, scan the code or look it up in the App Store. That is probasketballgm.com. And you, as a Locked On listener, will get a 100% free boost to your franchise when you use the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure you check it out. That is the ultimate basketball GM. So start your dynasty today. All right. Second segment is Rafael Barlow with Richard Stamen, Mr. Mavs draft. All right. Let's talk about the hot topic 
in the draft world well, outside of last week. Well, last week it was Scoot and Brandon Miller. This week is a totally different topic. People on or our listeners or subscribers on the YouTube channel have been talking about it. Nick Smith. So I talked to a scout before you get into it. I talked to a scout today. We were going back and forth about guys that looks good in the tournament, the guys that didn't. And I didn't bring it up. And he said, Nick Smith is sliding. He says he still thinks he goes lottery, but it's at the very back end of the lottery. He feels like he really cost himself a lot of money the last few games. What are your thoughts on Nick Smith? Well, for those who don't know, I'll give two bits of background. In the NCAA tournament, Nick Smith had six total points in two games. The first game he had six points. Against Kansas, he had zero points. So those were massively alarming games. He shot a combined two of 14. It was an absolute dud. The other bit of background is I've been low on Nick Smith really the whole year. I, I thought, great. If you haven't watched him in high school, watch his YouTube clips. He was fantastic. The problem is a lot of it never screamed, this is going to scale up. He's not a point guard. He's an off-ball guard a lot of times. And I think he's best when other guards are doing his work for him in terms of creation. And that just, I don't know if it works at 6'5", unless you're absolutely elite at shooting. Someone, for example, that fits that, Jordan Hawkins at, at UConn. Look at his stock rising. Very similar players, actually. Now, what's worried me is I don't think Nick Smith knows how to run a pick and roll. And if you're going to be a lead guard or a guard in the NBA, you have to be able to run a pick and roll. It's the most commonly run play in the league. Every team game plans for it. If you're not going to be able to run it, it's disastrous. He he is very scripted when he goes out of the pick and roll. He doesn't even wait for his screener a lot of times. He's very raw in that regard. It's not to say he can't get better at it, but there's alarms. You know, there's a lot of like just alarms sound in my head when I'm watching him operate a pick and roll. And on synergy, he's only had 83 possessions, but the injury obviously like should be accounted in this. But he's in the 19th percentile in pick and roll, including passes. He just doesn't have that pick and roll feel. And to me, that's a really big red flag. Unless he's an elite shooter, I'm just not entirely sold that he's going to be, you know, this great player. And honestly, the numbers don't add up right now. 49 free throws, 73 and a half percent. That's not great, especially for a guard that's actually below average. And he's shooting 32% from three for the year. So there's a lot of red flags around Nick Smith. Yeah, that's that's the the, the common thing. Everyone still is high on the talent, maybe not as high as they were coming into the season. You weren't high at the beginning. The thing that has really caught my attention and stood out to me in the NCAA tournament is he's doing nothing. Like, he's not rebounding. He's not getting assists. He has more turnovers than, like, assists and rebounds combined. I mean, he's – honestly, I don't think that Musselman wanted to put him in to close that game out. He, the last 156, 157, whatever, when Davis fouled out, he, that's the only reason why he got back in the game. What I'm looking forward to seeing in their next game is against UConn, I believe, is how many minutes does he play? If you were a betting man, if you were to guess, what do you think his role will be in that particular game? Well, he played 16 and against Kansas where he was completely irrelevant. I'd say it goes down to 10. I think they're going to give him a chance and it would be a great redemption game for him going against Jordan Hawkins, who I mentioned just a minute ago. I, I didn't even click with that in my head, but that's 
he's got to be able to make the most of his minutes. I think if he's not hitting shots at the first five minutes of his playing time, he's not going to be playing much. And speaking of Arkansas, while Smith is stock is falling, one of the biggest risers from the NCAA tournament is his teammate, Jordan Walsh. And a scout that I spoke to today says he has Walsh in the 18 through 20 range. And he said, obviously, the shooting is a concern, but he said he just lacks confidence in his shot. But he feels like with his size and athleticism and wingspan, he can defend all over the floor. And if you're a team, and one of the teams he threw out was Golden State, he says, if you're Golden State and you feel like Kaminga is going to cost too much money or whatever, you can just bring a guy, draft a guy like like Walsh. I don't know what the Warriors picked, but this is just what he mentioned. And he can come in and just play a role, defend all over the floor. And all he has to do is defend and just be able to knock down corner threes. And he's going to make a lot of money. And he just felt like this is a guy that you can throw in in the playoffs right now on an NBA team and say, go guard Kevin Durant. Says, no, he's going to get torched, but he will at least be a pest, make things a little bit difficult for him. And he said that that alone is going to get him a first-round grade. Now, I, I had to yep. have Walsh as a first-rounder until to this past weekend. What range do you have Jordan Walsh in? So I'm flipped. I had him as a first-rounder pretty much until mid-January. I was like, all right, I haven't seen enough from him to warrant this. I think it was fair. I, I still am holding my stock. But it was something where I'm like, let me see when he comes back to being like this, you know, very just prominent player I guess like he is now and then I'll reevaluate probably slide him back in that first round because I've always seen him as just this ultimate utility guy right this guy who it's not going to shoot the best in the world he's only taken four four shots in his uh excuse me four threes in his last four games in the mm-hmm. four conference tournament games uh and NCAA tournament games combined he's not somebody who's going to be a world beating you know passer He's not going to light up the scoreboard, but he's going to rebound. Like you said, he can guard Kevin Durant. He's going to make him work. It may not be he's going to make get stops, but he's going to have to work a lot harder than he had to against just an average defender in the league. Um, for me, I could, I, I just, I feel like that's somebody who's just such a high floor and you put these high floor guys in the top 30, like every class, it's generally 20 to 25 guys stick. You got to put Walsh in your top 30, even if it's the back end. I think that's where I'd put him right now. Yeah, the scouts really love him, and they all everyone I've talked to mentioned just how great of a job he did on on Jalen Wilson and how much he made him work. So he has a big a big game coming up against against UConn UConn with Jordan Hawkins, and that's gonna be a game that I think every NBA scout is going to be paying attention to because there's so many guys that that you want to see matched up against that type of competition, that type of pressured environment. And for, you know, a guy like Nick Smith, it's the perfect game for him to show that, Hey, the the last, the first two games in NCAA tournament was not me. If he has a rough game, then you can, you can imagine all the stuff that will be said and, and, and questions and concerns. But if he has a good game, I think it will be, it will be good for a stock. I thought coming into the, tournament he had a small window to move into the top six or seven on in the draft because you can say the Thompson twins are locked I mean guys are pretty much finished but he had an opportunity with a strong performance 
to live up to the the hype that he had coming into the season. He still does. I mean, if if they go all the way to the Final Four and he has two big games, then he'll be right around where people had him coming into the season. But if he struggles, then, you know, we can see him on a lot of different draft boards around 13, 14, maybe even 15. All right, when we return, I want to talk about the Duke prospects. I want to talk about guys at Creighton. And then I also want to just get your opinion on different players that really caught your attention. And of course, Isaiah Wong. But let's talk about FanDuel because it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. Because if you're a new customer, you get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scored and threes drain. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So do not miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA and Locked On. All right, last segment. Let's start off the last segment with Mr. Isaiah Wong. You have on a Miami shirt. <laughs> Isaiah, <laughs> his first game was kind of brutal. I, what, what did he shoot the first game? I saw it was one, one for of 10. ten. Okay, one for 10. Then the second game, he showed out. And so you are the driver of the Isaiah Wong bandwagon. <laughs> what do you think about his performance overall in a tournament? And do you think that he has kind of opened the eyes a little bit of NBA scouts because he's improved in all the areas that everybody said that he's not good in. I think it's a situation that he's been around so long that people's minds are kind of set and made up on him. But I felt like coming into this tournament, this was a great opportunity for him to show that he is not the same player that he was two years ago. What have your thoughts on this play so far? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for always believing in the Isaiah Wong train. You never. I can't uh, say I, I can't say I didn't believe in it. I, I can't. I, I won't take credit for that. But I always. You never I, doubted me. I never doubted you, right? Because who am I to just tell you that you're wrong? And you've, uh, you know, you stuck with it, and so you've made me a believer. But again, I'm, I'm somebody that if I have an opinion on someone. I can change it, right? I am flexible. There are some people in this draft world that if, if they're set on a guy, they refuse to be to be moved. Yep. And, and so Wong has definitely done everything that I well, he's improved on the area that I had really concerns about. I thought he was just a gunner. Not well, gunner's probably a strong word. I just thought he was a somewhat of an inefficient score that was born in the wrong era i thought in that in the 90s 2000 where you played a lot of iso and took heavy contested mid-range shots or whatever i thought he looked better in that era but he's improved as a three-point shooter he's improved as a playmaker and he's been winning games so i can't sit here and ignore everything that he's done so no i can't sit here and also be like i was a believer the whole time i mean also kind of adding on to that like I, I know for a fact, like, I mean, I went to Miami last year, saw him privately work out. And obviously I, so I talked with him and, you know, the number one thing was 
can you just improve that shot? Last year, he shot 30% from threes, 75% from the line. The prior two years, 73, or excuse me, 37% from three, 35% from three, and then 83 and 80%. This year, it is a career best in both 38.7 and 84% from the line. And he's just done everything you can ask for. That was the number one area. It was that and like, hey, prove you can be that consistently winning guard that can run a team. He's done all of it. So in theory, he shouldn't rise on boards because he just met all of the expectations. Actually, I would argue exceeded it. He's become an elite. He's the number one space creator, I think, in the country. I think there's no one who has a better argument than him for being just the best space creator as a ball handler. And on top of that, he's just shooting well. He's shooting over contests. He still needs to get a little bit better playing off ball. The only thing that really will hold him back, and this is something he can never really improve on at this point, it's just unlucky, is he's 6'2". He's 6'3", maybe, and he's a combo guard. And that's just the average height in the NBA right now for a guard is 6'4". And he's not a true point guard. He's not a true shooting guard. That's going to be where it comes tricky. I still think he's someone where you bet on the talent and the abilities and say, hey, he can just blend in and make a role for himself. Yep, I agree. Now, here's a conversation that I had today with the scout. And I had, like, long conversations with scouts today, and I'm going to put it all together in this uh, NBA Big Boy article that should be coming out um, probably Thursday, so today you listen to it. Isaiah Wong is a guy that if he went to Duke, he would have been in a bad situation. And and I was talking about Tyrese Proctor, and but I'm going to bring it back to Isaiah Wong. If Isaiah Wong went to Duke, he would have had a one-year window to – be NBA ready in a sense, or his replacement would have been on the way. And he was talking about guys that go to Duke and Kentucky don't always get time to develop. You kind of get forced out. And um, Trevor Kills is an example of if he stays, maybe he helps his draft stock. Also, he could have been out of the rotation or playing a smaller role because there's another McDonald's All-American coming in. So I said I ought to say this, if Isaiah Wong went to like the wrong school where they're just kind of like churning out guys and you don't get the opportunity to improve over three or four years, he could have been someone that left to go to the league or after his freshman or sophomore year when he really wasn't ready and just had to sit there and develop in the G League or get that very, very small window as a second round pick to actually show what you can do. So Miami was perfect for him because he was able to develop, get better on a big stage in a power five conference and now showcase it on, on, on the biggest stage, which is the NCAA tournament. Do you have him in your top 40 or do you have him higher? I have him at number 39 right now. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, well, no, I mean, that's good. (laughs) Creighton guys, do you believe, and this is a question I asked Leaf, and I, I asked a few people this, do you believe there are five guys on this Creighton team that could see NBA minutes in the future? No. I, I think they're a really good team that has a lot of talent, uh, especially for college, but I honestly, I don't know how many of these guys end up playing in the NBA. and I, I think it might, it, I think it's zero or one. Arthur Kaluma was the best candidate before the season, but he absolutely did not take the jump we all expected. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like he went backwards. I don't think Baylor Shireman's an NBA guy. Ryan Nemhart's good. Trey Alexander's pretty good. But again, like 
do they scale up? I don't know. And then Ryan Kalkbrenner, I like the guy. I think he he might be the best chance at this point. But I think he's tops out as like going to be a backup big, and he might. So one or zero for me. I love asking this question because when I'm from Omaha, so I'm, I'm rooting for, for Baylor, everybody has a different answer. If I ask five scouts who is Creighton's best prospect, and you'll get five different answers. I heard today that Shireman can be like Joe Ingles, a guy that is a good passer, can knock down open shots, not necessarily be your playmaker, but can run pick and rolls. Then they like his size. He rebounds. I had another scout tell me he thinks Trey Alexander could be someone that could play in the NBA, even though his bread and butter right now is kind of getting to his spots and shooting the mid-range. But he felt like he has the, the length to be a solid defender, and he can knock down open shots. I had another person tell me that they think that Ryan Nimhart is a Tyus Jones, TJ McConnell type backup. And he also mentioned that he feels like he could play a role at like Jose Alvarado, but he's much better at running a team than Alvarado. He's a better scorer than he gets credit for. And he mentioned, if you look at his brother, Andrew, we never thought Andrew was a big scorer at Gonzaga or Florida. And he's averaged like 19 points per game <laughs> in the last five games for the Pacers. And, uh, then another person told me that they thought Kalkbrenner could have a nice six, seven, eight, nine year career in the NBA as a backup big. May not be a rotation guy, but a back end rotation guy that can come in and give you some minutes because he thought he's a good defender and drop coverage, scores around the rim. So it's crazy. So I've been trying to ask as many people. And what I love is that I'm getting five different answers if I ask five different people. But the same can be said about the Duke guys. Personally, my favorite Duke guy is Tyrese Proctor. I think Proctor is going to be a star. He's 6'5". He's a shot creator. May not be on Isaiah Wong's level as far as getting separation, but he he, he can get separation off the dribble. Flash, flare, I love his confidence. We're talking about a guy that missed like his first 20 shots. or Honestly, it was like he was 4 for 21 to start his career. Improved, shot 42% from three over the last 10 games. I think he's a solid passer. He's my favorite guy. But if I ask somebody else, they'll tell me Whitehead. Some people believe Lively. There's some people that even believe Filipowski could be their best player. Who's your top Duke prospect long-term? So first of all, I love the Proctor pick. I had a couple friends of mine who like, you know, they, they know I watch a ton of college basketball. So they've reached out to me and they're like, why is this Proctor guy not on draft boards? Because it's funny if you are somebody who has analyzed his game for the whole year, you're like, eh, he doesn't move me. For a lot of, for like most people, that's the consensus, right? Whereas I think the people who are just watching college basketball for the first time, and fun fact, a lot of GMs are watching college basketball for the first time this year. They're going, dang, why isn't Tyrese Proctor on more boards? And fun thing about him, if you search Mavstraff Proctor and then sort by videos, you will see one of the single greatest non-NCAA step backs I think I've ever seen in my life from Tyrese Proctor when he was at the NBA Academy. It was, it was ridiculous. But uh, for me, it's Derek Lively. I think Filipowski's close, and I do like Proctor. Proctor's just tough for me because I don't know if he's a guy this year or next year, and I'm having a hard time where I would place him now. I could make an argument for him. I think preseason I had Whitehead and then Proctor. And they're actually Lively. I forgot I 
on the show, we were talking about how much I loved Lively, but I think for now it's Lively. I think he's a guy who he impacts the game at the rim at such a high level on both ends. I think that's going to matter. Those guys end up being rotational guys. He may not be the highest ceiling, but I think he's the best prospect. So I love Lively on the defensive end. I have turned a corner on him, but my concern is on a playoff team, can he play minutes if you're a playoff team? Like, is he going to be a guy that helps you win in the regular season? And then you have to scramble your whole defense of your game plan because he's bringing nothing on the offensive end. Like, when he sets a screen, he doesn't even look to roll to the rim. He just stands there. But in his defense, he did show flashes of shooting in high school, but absolutely nothing absolutely nothing at Duke. He looks like he's completely lost his confidence on the offensive end. I still see him as a first round pick. Again, I've turned the corner. I think at one point I had him outside of my first round, but he will be in my first round going forward. And then Whitehead, I'm I'm coming along. He hasn't lived up to the hype. The biggest question mark is how much of his explosiveness or lack of explosiveness was due to the injury. He showed he can shoot. Showed some flashes of being able to knock down shots. I forgot the comparison, but it was somebody I spoke to today. They gave a comparison. Oh, they said best case scenario. Thought was like an RJ Barrett guy, but they thought that was like very best. And he mentioned that size and strength at that age and youth, and he felt like those guys with with his characteristics rarely fail. But then he mentioned that you ask different people, you get you get different opinions. Well, we are running out of time. That wraps up this episode. Richard will be back and we will give a preview of the games coming up on Thursday. Thank you for making Locked on NBA Big Boy your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen of the day, you have to check out the Locked on Game to Game podcast. Every moment, every performance, every every result. Locked on Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow. Richard Stamen, and we will be back. But right now, we are out.